two quick things. Uh, the first is uh, if you haven't wandered over to the Fellowship Center this week, uh, take a look over there. We have we've taken down a wall to make space. Uh, you know, we're we're trying to get our new Fellowship Center built, but the cold weather is moving in faster than the the construction is going. So, you know, eventually what we're going to have to do is, is all the people that sit out there in the picnic tables are going to have to come inside. And so we took down the wall into the fireside room and it looks amazing. So thanks to the very talented Mark Barnhouse for all of his work in doing that. And uh, also, uh, I, I want to tell you about something coming up this week. We've been doing a study called Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, in which we recognize some of the great spiritual leaders who've come before us, some of the great theologians. And uh, one of the most interesting guys of, of, of our time is a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was in Germany uh, in, in the time of, of, of Hitler and the Nazis, and he was trying to be faithful in the church. He, he was, he's a really interesting guy, studied with, with Gandhi because he was a pacifist, but at the same time participated in, in, in Operation Valkyrie uh, to kind of assassinate Hitler and was eventually martyred. I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of the most interesting stories in Christendom, and so Charlie Ross is going to be leading us through that this coming Wednesday night. So if you'd like to be part of that, I believe that starts right around 6 o'clock in our fellowship center. So please, uh, we've got dinner starting at 5.30. If you want to come and eat with us, what are we eating, Jim? Poppy seed chicken. All right. Sounds, sounds awesome, right? Um, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I will, let me invite you, as always, uh, and remind you that the central part of our worship together is to gather around God's Word and to see Jesus Christ proclaimed by it. And we've been doing that work through the Gospel of Matthew, and, uh, and it's just been a great privilege to follow along with Jesus' story. And so let me say this, today we're in chapter 16. We begin working there today. And allow me to set the stage momentarily for what this text is going to be discussing. Today's text is all about spiritual blindness. If you remember, a few weeks back, uh, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they accused Jesus' disciples of something. Do you remember what it was? It was, he accused them of breaking the tradition of the elders. That's what the Pharisees said to them. And, and, and remember what, what, what that breaking of tradition was. It was that the disciples had not washed their hands before eating. And do you remember what Jesus called those Pharisees? He calls them blind guides. They are the ones who are leading the people of Israel, and they're, they're, they're guides to the people of Israel, but they're blind. And if you remember what Jesus says, well, look at Matthew 15, 14. It says this. Uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, leave those Pharisees alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, I just want to say this. Obviously, there was nothing wrong with the Pharisees' eyes. Right? They could see in the physical world. They had traveled from Jerusalem. They had found Jesus. Their eyes worked just fine. The problem was not physical sight. The problem was spiritual sight. They were spiritually blind. And so what I want to suggest to you, and think through this, think if this makes sense, that in actuality, all people are spiritually blind. Good people are spiritually blind. Bad people are spiritually blind. Everyone in this world is spiritually blind. And let me explain this with the use of a story, okay? In the year 1899, uh, there was a 16-year-old boy named Thomas Stewart. Anybody ever hear, heard of Thomas Stewart? Well, um, 
Thomas's dad had died early, and he, he oftentimes did the work of the man of the house as a 16-year-old, and apparently was doing something with a, a large knife, and he stabbed himself in the left eye. And, and medicine, medicine wasn't great in 1899, and so uh, they, the family summoned a doctor to the house, and that doctor uh, was going to also be the surgeon, and they determined that that left eye needed to be removed. And so they, they sedated Thomas, and they removed his eye, and as, as Thomas woke, it was to the great shock that the surgeon had removed the wrong eye. And it was, it was unrepairable. And, and Thomas, I mean, this is a true story. Um, he, he, he would forever be blind. And he, and he had these dreams, though. Like, he had dreams of going to law school. That's what he wanted to do. Uh, and so, so he did. He went to law school. And, and he, <laughs> some miracle, this blind kid finishes in the top of his class. Now, as, re, as remarkable as this story is, Thomas had a brother named William. And William actually graduated second in their class. Isn't that funny? Uh, and, and here's how this worked. Uh, for years and years, William had accompanied Thomas to every class. And William, the, who figured second in the class, would read aloud to Thomas every necessary book and even write papers for him when necessary. Uh, you see, William was Thomas's eyes. Without William, Thomas would never have learned what he did. Now, now, here's my point. This is the point I'm trying to make here. This is, is very similar to the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy, Holy Spirit works in much the same way. Everyone in the world is spiritually blind. Your only hope to see spiritually is by the work of Christ through His Holy Spirit. And so, so here's the distinction, because there's really only two. Everyone's spiritually blind, and yet there are two possible outcomes for you and for me. Either we will remain spiritually blind forever, or, and this is what we hope, is that, that Christ will give us eyes to see spiritually by His Holy Spirit. And listen, um, when it comes to kind of Christmas time preaching and what He preached at Christmas time, in the past I've, I've always thought, you know what we need to do? We need to come up with some cute thing to preach at Christmas, you know, faith, hope, and love, and joy, and like, you know, kind of get through that stuff, and, and it, it, it just have some creative way to preach through that. Our, my, my goal this year is just to stay in Matthew, and, and when we come to things that are relevant to Christmas, we make them relevant to Christmas, and, and I think this is one of them, and let me say it like this. Um, I think that at Christmas time, we are m maybe more aware than ever that, that there is a sense of blindness in our culture, spiritually. We live in a world, and, and they can look out at Christmas time, and they can sense that there is something that needs to be celebrated. And they can sense that there is something spiritual that's happening in the holiday, right? And, and they, they don't know quite what it is, and so they have these really strange phrases. They talk about Christmas magic. Like, what is that? Like, they, don't, they know that there's something there, but they're, they're spiritually blind to see it. They don't know what the baby in the manger really means. Uh, so, so I want to talk to you this morning about spiritual blindness. I want to talk to you. I want to suggest there's two groups of people. Both are spiritually blind, and yet only one of them is given eyes to see. 
So we're going to read through Matthew 16, 1 through 12. It is our tradition to stand as the Scripture is read, so I invite you to do so now. It is also our tradition to pause and have a moment of prayer that the Holy Spirit would, in fact, be our eyes to see as we come to Scripture this morning. So let's pray together. Father, as we talk through spiritual blindness, we know that our only hope to see what the Spirit is doing is by the work of your Spirit in us. And so as we come to your Scripture, Father, we pray for eyes to see by your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all the church said, amen. All right, let's read together. It says this, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say, uh, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And so he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began to discussing it among themselves, saying, like, we, we brought no bread. But, but Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the facts that, 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 you, that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And, and how many baskets you gathered? Or, or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that, that he did not tell them to beware of, of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Church, the grass may wither and the flowers may fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, it's the truth, isn't it? The Word of God will stand forever and ever and ever. Well, if, you're, if you remember last week and Jim was preaching for us, um, Jesus had gone into Gentile lands. And, and when he got there, he, um, he healed a Canaanite woman who was, who was a Gentile. And he feeds the 4,000 after he'd already done the 5,000. When he did the 5,000, it was a miracle for the Jews. When he does the 4,000, it's in Gentile lands, and they're almost surely all Gentile. And, and, and so what we saw last week, it was, and it was amazing to watch, that the Jesus' compassion was extend, extending to the Gentiles. Now, location, location, location. Let's look at the setting of today's text, shall we? Look at Matthew 15, 39, because that's going to tell us where things happen. It says this. And after sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat, and he went to the region of Magadan. Now, the proper question to ask, if you're thinking about location, is, is this town of Magadan, is, this, is Jesus still in Gentile territory? Or, or is Magadan now in, in, in Jewish territory again? 
Well, let me tell you, the answer is that Jesus is crossed back into the Jewish land, right? And so, so that's the context of this story. Um, the, and, and here's what's interesting. The second that Jesus walks back onto the shore in this, in this Jewish land as he leaves the Gentile country, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are waiting there in Jewish land to pounce upon Jesus. Now look at verse 1 with me. It says this. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came... And to test him, they asked him to show them, what? A, a sign from heaven. I got a lot of questions in my head from this verse. And, and maybe, maybe none more uh, important than this. Why are the Pharisees and the Sadducees together? Right? Because I, I cannot stress to you enough that these are not dudes that hang out. Right? They do not like each other. Uh, you, know, you can see the scribes together with the Pharisees often, but not the Sadducees. This is what some have called an unholy alliance, right? This, this is like, this would be like, like Trump going to the squad and going, come on, we got to go get some people, right? It's just they don't work together normally, right? They have very, they have very little, the Pharisees and Sadducees, very little in common. And, and they usually spend all their time fighting against one another, let me, let me just give you some of the, the, the headlines. The Pharisees are legalistic conservatives, right? They care about tradition, and they abhor Gentile culture. That's, that's what the Pharisees are. The Sadducees, these are liberal elites. They, they, they reject Jewish tradition. Furthermore, the Sadducees, I don't know if you realize this, they denied almost everything that happened supernaturally in Scripture, right? They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirit. So the Sadducees are these theological progressives. The Pharisees are these hyper-conservative fundamentalists. They don't belong together. Why are they together? Why are they here together today? They're unified in their kind of common hatred and jealousy of Jesus, and, and, and so what is it that this unholy alliance wants? Well, ultimately, if you think about it, what they really are hoping to do is to embarrass Jesus publicly. What they're really hoping they can do is to expose him as a fraud. And, and even if Jesus is who he says he is, they don't seem to care. The request is this. Ready? Here's the request. Jesus, show us a sign from heaven. And you can really think about this in a couple ways. On one hand, uh, what has Jesus been doing for the crowds? What's he been doing in the last several chapters? Why are the Pharisees and Sadducees so stirred up? But it's because Jesus has been healing people by heavenly power. He's been regenerating legs. He's been restoring sight. He's even been raising the dead. And, and, and these are all, all these things that Jesus is doing, they're meant to be signs. And they're all meant to point to something. They're meant to point to Jesus as the Messiah. But it seems here that, that the religious leaders actually want something different than that, right? They, they want something they define as heavenly that prove that Jesus is who he says he is. What they're thinking about is something like making the sun stop in the sky, something up there in the heavens. They want him to turn the, the moon to blood, something in the sky. And, and how does Jesus respond? Verses 2 through 3. Let's look together. 
He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather today for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Jesus, is, he, he, what he's, he's saying to these folks is, sure, like you can, you can see the signs up in the sky, and, and you know how to interpret these signs to tell what the weather's going to do. Do you remember that old um, sailor's line? It was a uh, red sky at night, sailor's delight, uh, red sky in morning, sailor's warning, right? And it, this, is, this is basically going back to that. There's nothing new under the sun when it comes to sailor's wisdom. If, if you saw like a red sky at night, you should expect that in the morning the weather would be delightful. But if you saw a red sky in the morning, bad weather should be expected. And um, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees were really good at, at looking up and seeing those signs. That's something they understood. But what Jesus is suggesting is that when it comes to, and this is our theme for the day, spiritual things, that they were spiritually blind. What Jesus says to them is, is you cannot inter- or you can interpret what happens in the skies, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And what do you think he meant by signs of the times? I'll make it simple because it's kind of overarching. All the teachings of John the Baptist, all the teachings of Jesus, all the miracles and healings, they're all signs. Anyone with spiritual sight could see what these signs were pointing to. And so let's just go back and ask this question. What does a sign do? What's the job of any sign? A sign's job is to point to something. What are all the the signs of the times pointing to? Well, let me show you. All right? We've got to step back just a second. A few chapters earlier, there there were the the disciples of of John the Baptist, and they want to know, is Jesus truly the Messiah? And what does Jesus tell them? Matthew 11, 4 through 5, just really quick, ready? And Jesus answered them. John's in prison, and and Jesus is sending John's disciples back to him to tell John this. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, these are all signs, Right? Lepers are cleansed, another sign. The deaf hear, that's a sign. The dead are raised up, it's a sign. And the poor have good news preached to them. What are all these signs pointing to? The fact that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. so, So that's really, if you had spiritual sight... You could see that every sign was pointing that Jesus is the Messiah. So, so how does Jesus respond to this request that's, that's intended to embarrass him and, and shame him for a heavenly sign? He says, uh, he says you're blind. You, have, you, 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 you can see all kinds of the wisdom of man, but you can't see spiritual signs. And he adds in verse 4, he adds this, look. An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except for what? The sign of Jonah. And so he left them and he, and he departed. Jesus left, he, he leaves them. He leaves them like that. He's not going to give them a sign. No sign except for the sign of Jonah. And, um, you know, I, I preached this sign of Jonah last Easter. And then actually we came to it again earlier in Matthew. So we've seen Jesus say this several times now where, 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 where people ask him for a sign. He says, listen, all you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Now, if you've heard either one of those sermons, you know this, that, that Jonah was three days in the belly of the well. 
And, and, and Jonah is kind of a, a, a foretype of Jesus. There was a foreshadowing of Jesus' three days in the grave. Quite simply, what Jesus is saying when he talks about the sign of Jonah is the only sign you should expect from me is the resurrection. You can demand all the signs you want, but know this. I'm going to raise from the dead after three days. And, and those who have eyes to see will believe. And those who don't, they, they, they won't believe. And then, and then I just find it very interesting that Scripture says Jesus left them. And I think that's one of the more sadder verses in all of Scripture. Read with me verses 5 through 6. It says this. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So what, what Dr. R.C. Sproul will say is that, is that here in this verse right here, that Jesus and his disciples have actually gone back again. Remember, they, when they got to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, the Pharisees and Sadducees were waiting for them. They've gotten back in the boat, and they've headed back over into Gentile lands again. And uh, that, that the disciples, once they reached these Gentile lands again, they realized that they didn't bring any, any bread. But Jesus isn't thinking about bread. He's not thinking about bread. Jesus is thinking about the encounter with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And, and Jesus is warning the disciples to what? To be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do you remember uh, the last time we talked together about leaven? It wasn't too long ago. It was in the parables of Jesus. And, and Jesus was using the idea of leaven to describe the kingdom of heaven. And if you remember, leaven is like yeast, right? It's, it's like a yeast. It's what you put in bread to make it, to make it rise. And, and Jesus' point back then was that um, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven because it's, it's invisible and, it, and it, it's, it kind of permeates and it does its work even though you can't see it. And it's this kind of an inevitability to the work of it. But now what Jesus is saying, and I find this very interesting, is this, that it's also possible for false teachers to be like leaven. And, and so I think this is an important thing for you to realize, right? Here's the idea. Bad theology can permeate your heart, working and, and, and expanding, and in this case, infecting your heart in a way that is, that is unseen, really, and unnoticed to you, and, ex, and it kind of expands, it's expansive. What is the leaven of the Pharisees? Like, right, if we, we ask that question, what's the leaven of the Pharisees? Let me just make that as clear as possible. It's their doctrine. It's their, their teachings, right? The leaven is the teachings of the Pharisees. Look at verse 12. We're jumping ahead, but look at verse 12. It says this. At the end of all this, they're going to understand this. Then they understand that they did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the what? The teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do you, do you get the understanding that doctrine matters? Right? That what we teach matters, that truth matters. And, and, and it's possible for you to be polluted by bad teaching. Because if it was possible for the disciples to be polluted by bad teaching, you can, you can be sure that it's possible for you and I to be polluted by bad teaching. 
I can also tell you from personal experience with different people in the world that there are certain people in Christendom who dislike the idea of studying doctrine. They don't like it. They don't want to do it. They'll say things like, well, you know, doctrine divides. We don't want to talk about that. We just, can we just have simply Jesus? We just want simply Jesus. Can we just have Jesus as our doctrine? We don't want to get into doctrine anymore. Just simply Jesus. Because we can all be united about that. And, and, and here's, I think it's great. One commentator says that if someone says that to you, you say, great. Um, and you just ask them to tell you who Jesus is. Who, who is Jesus? And as soon as they start talking, they are espousing doctrine. Right? You can't just say, I just want Jesus. Because as soon as you say you want Jesus, and, and you begin to start explaining who he is, you're espousing doctrine. Doctrine is using the Bible to describe the very nature of God. Jesus thinks that it's important to warn his disciples about dangerous teachings of the false teachers of the day. And, and I think it's fair, I really do, I think it's fair that we similarly, in the same way, warn people about the dangers of false teachers today. And, uh, I mean, I could, I could call names, we go into that, we, we do certain times, but I'm just going to leave it at this. Uh, beware of that leaven, my friends, because it permeates. Now, the disciples don't seem to, uh, to get what Jesus is saying. You know why? Because they're spiritually blind. <laughs> it seems uh, to be the theme here, doesn't it? People are missing the signs all over. Uh, the, the Pharisees missed the signs. The Sadducees missed the signs. But now here's the disciples. They're missing it too. And, and the disciples hear Jesus. He's talking about leaven. And they're confused. And they start talking about bread. Look at verse 7. And they begin discussing it among themselves, saying, wait, we, we brought no bread. Why is Jesus talking about the leaven of the Pharisees? Uh, we didn't bring any bed. And, and maybe that kind of morphs into a conversation. I don't know. You know, I could just imagine, uh, oh, no, we forgot bread. What are we going to eat? And Jesus responds to the confusion of the disciples. He, he does. He responds in verses 8 and 10. He says, uh, but Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Can you not see? How do you not remember the five loaves or the 5,000? And how, and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? You see, what I see here is um, two rebukes, two of them. The first rebuke is about trusting Jesus for their provision, Right? Um, you know, Jesus kind of says, you know, why are you talking about not having bread? And then he says, do you not perceive? In other words, do you still not have eyes to see? To see what? To see what the signs point to. What do the signs point to? That, that Jesus is the Messiah who will meet every need. Don't you remember what he did with the bread? I don't know why anyone who was hanging out with Jesus would ever worry about being hungry again. You'd be like, we only brought one bagel. Well, I think we're good because we have Jesus, right? The second rebuke that I see coming from Jesus, uh, so if the first one's about provision, the second rebuke I see is also one of not seeing. It's verse 11. And he says this, how is it that you fail to understand 
that I did not speak about bread. And then he just restates what he said earlier. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. How is it you fail to understand? I wasn't talking about bread. And then he just restates what he said. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Here's what's interesting. The disciples were spiritually blind to understand what that meant the first time. But here as he says it again, all of a sudden they have been given spiritual sight by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they understand. Look at verse 12. This is what it says. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All right. Here's the point of all this, friends. Everyone is spiritually blind. There are people in our world who have great eyes for math. My son's got great eyes for math. There are, there are people who have great eyes for mechanical work. I am not one of those. I'm around people sometimes who, who have great eyes for doing that kind of stuff. There are, there are guys around here who have great eyes, like in our story today, for predicting the weather. There are a lot of people who look at the Christmas season and they have no sense of what's happening. They can sense that something is going on, but they can't figure it out. So they keep inventing. Here's what, here's what I've noticed. Even since I was a kid, we have invented new secular traditions for Christmas because they have no idea what the signs of Christmas are pointing to. I want to tell you that, that, that as a whole, every man, woman, and child is spiritually blind. As Jesus says, we are unable to see the signs of the times. And one of two things is going to happen. Either you will, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, remain blind forever, and Jesus will depart from you, or Jesus will give you eyes to see by the power of his Holy Spirit. And in our text today, we saw both occurrences, the Pharisees and Sadducees, but also the disciples are blind. But by the power of God's grace and by his Spirit, Jesus allows the disciples to see. So do you want application uh, in your life, maybe from today's text? Well, let's, let's talk about some application. I want to ask you the question, are you able to look at the signs of the gospel? Are you able to, to read this, to see the miracles of Jesus, to hear about the birth of the Christ child, and to see that they, that they point to Jesus as the great Messiah who has come to atone for your sins? Do you have eyes to see the relevance of a child born in Bethlehem, if you do, that sight is a gift from God that no man may boast. Bow your head, bend your knees, and thank God that you can see who Jesus is. Because faith in Jesus is the only thing that saves. But I'll say it again because I think it's worth saying this. Faith is the only thing that saves but, but, but people of faith repent. Like, do you get that? People of faith battle their flesh. So you want application. Here's your application. Pray that God would give you spiritual sight to see where sin remains in your own life and that you might fight that sin, that you might live a, a more beautiful life in honor of Jesus. Application number two. Here's another one. Watch 
and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus warns you against bad doctrine. What, here's a question, all right, so let's think through this. What dangerous doctrines threaten to pollute our churches today? What dangerous doctrine threatens to pollute your soul today? Maybe, and I, and I really believe this is one, and there's churches in our area who teach this, the health and wealth gospel, right? The one that promises you prosperity as long as you are a faithful believer. That is garbage. It is bad leaven. Maybe it's the cultural Christian doctrine that says that you can find salvation by trusting in Jesus as your Savior and not at the same time making him your Lord. Because that's out there all through our world today where people are these cultural Christians not under the lordship of Jesus but also claiming for him salvation. Maybe it's, maybe it's the poor teachings of the liberal church which claims the word of God is untrustworthy. And that scripture must be examined by external tools so that, so that we can determine which parts of scripture are to be valued and which parts are to be discarded. So many false doctrines. And unfortunately, many believers have no idea. They have no idea that their thinking has been infiltrated by bad leaven. So what do you do? I want to suggest to you this. You become discerning. You pray to the Father that he would send to you discernment and wisdom. You read many old books, but you live in the Bible, right? That's a, that's a great old Reformed quote. You confess that Scripture is the ultimate source of truth, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you read that Scripture so that you can see with clear eyes. We have read today from Matthew 16, Verses 1 through 12. May all who have eyes to see and ears to hear proclaim the sufficiency of Christ in all things. And the church said, amen. Friends, let's pray together this morning. Um, Father, to those of us who have the eyes to see what the signs of your gospel point to, that Christ is the Messiah, we say thank you. And for our neighbors who... Um, cannot see the signs of the times. Uh, Father, we pray for them, your mercy upon them. We pray that your spirit would move in their heart, that they might be born again, and that from the work of the spirit inside of them, their mouths might confess Christ is Lord. Father, we pray against the false teachings that we've discussed today, and we pray that you would give us wisdom that we might surround ourselves with true and right doctrine. We pray all these things for the glory of Jesus. And all the church said, Amen.